Mount this summer, kind of a summer on the Mount. And we'll be at the end of chapter 6. As you turn there, I'll tell you, in the second hour, one of the things that we're going to get to do is we are going to be, uh, we're going to lay hands on, um, as elders, on our uh, new associate pastor, Chad Bradley. And so we will uh, take some time in the service second hour to do that, all his family's uh, coming in from all the different places, and so we'll have a chance to, uh, to be with them and to um, celebrate uh, God's calling him to Bethel. If you haven't met Chad, just so you know, he's born in 1984 in Dallas, Texas. At eight years old, trusted Christ at Pine Cove. Married to Nancy for eight years. They have two daughters, Faith and Charity. Faith's five, Charity's two. They have a son on the way. Was ordained to ministry in February 2015 um, at Angelo Bible Church in San Angelo. In fact, the pastor there, Jim Stanley, uh, was going to be with us today. He ended up not being able to come at the last minute. Um, but Jim Stanley was my youth pastor um, all those years ago. And uh, the fact that I'm here would be, is really, that's the reason he was coming. He doesn't believe that I'm actually a pastor. <laughs> Chad graduated from Dallas Seminary in 2016 with a Master's of Theology, and for you... Longhorns, he's also a UT graduate, class of 06. See, I love that. There's no whooping, there's no... <laughs> it's just, you know, College World Series, we're going to win. All right, um, the last three years he's been a missionary with SIM in Ethiopia. And due to COVID and just a lot of unrest over in the part of the country that they were in, SIM pulled their missionaries, and the Bradleys were seeking God about what is next and um, intersected with Bethel and made that really clear that Bethel Bible Church was next for them. And so if you haven't met Chad, um, I want you to. He'll, he'll be preaching here in a couple of weeks, and so you'll get a chance to see him then. But before that, you can reach out to him or catch him in the lobby. Um, he's the very friendly guy, new face that you haven't seen. So, um, I look forward to you getting to know him, and we'll be doing that in earnest in the second hour. All right, Matthew chapter 6. Here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to start in verse 25, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. And this is uh, familiar ground. If you've been um, a believer, if you've been around the church, if you have gone into... Uh, the bookstore and looked in the Christian section um, under the categories of anxiety or depression or worry or um, e even, even books on discipleship. This typically, this passage or one of its parallels warrants a whole chapter. It's, it's a part of what we are called to, how to live as believers. And at the same time, we read these words and we think, man, Jesus really must be God. He really must have come from heaven because he really doesn't understand 
the pressures of the fallen world that we live in. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples and the crowd that has gathered on the mount. Matthew 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you would, would you bow with me? Father, I pray you'd help us this morning to hear the, the words of your son Jesus as Matthew remembered them and your Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record them as he sent down those centuries ago to write this gospel, this good news of Jesus. So, Father, I pray we'd hear the good news this morning. You would do what only you can do. You would take your word that's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Father, as we read your word, would your word read us back? And would it have a transforming effect in how we think, and how we live, Father, and how we love one another. We ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to talk about a few things. I want to talk about what the, what the uh, birds know. And I want to talk about what the lilies know. And I want to talk about what your Father in heaven knows. And then I want to ask, what do we know this morning? He begins there in verse 25, do not be anxious. In fact, if you listen, if you were listening, three times he issues that command. In verse 25, in verse 31, and in verse 34 again, right there at the end. Do not be anxious. And the word anxious is a Greek word. It literally means to have a, a distracted mind or a double mind. 
in the broader context, chapter 6 and moving into chapter 7, this divided mind is, is really a, it's a divided loyalty. A divided loyalty between the kingdom of God and my own kingdom, the cares of God and my own cares where they're not aligned with his. It, it could mean to be over-concerned about something, particularly something other than, than what God's concerned about. Words that we use in different contexts, fear, stress, worry, angst, hand-wringing, hand sleeplessness, all of these fit under this category of anxiety. It's mentally distracting. It's physically disturbing. And it's emotionally distressing. Now, one word of, of uh, explanation here of what Jesus is not talking about, okay? Jesus is not saying don't care about anything. It is not in any way a denial of the wisdom of forethought and planning. We should still consider the ant. Oh, you sluggard, as the proverb says. The, the divine law of seed time and harvest, those are left intact by what Jesus says. Also, I'll say this, like I talk about when we talk about depression or we talk about um, other uh, categories of mental illness. There are times and seasons for some people for medication. The body needs help. And in some cases, if the soul is going to be set at ease and you're going to experience healing and refreshing and the body needs help some seasons at some times for some people. And so it is not a denial of that. Here's what it is. It's a command. Actually, it's a, it's a command that, that really comes across more like an invitation. It's, it's something you really want to accept. It's not, not an ultimatum that you want to refuse. It's, it's not... It's not Marlon Brando and the Godfather saying, you know, I'm here to make you an offer you can't refuse. This is not Jesus' posture. Jesus isn't saying, get over it. He is speaking into the very heart of our life in a broken world. In a world that is filled with sorrow and distress and confusion and brokenness. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's drawing near to us here. There's this tenderness about Jesus, and you know this from the illustrations that he uses. It's at the very point where, where, where you're anxious. It's at the very point that anxiety rises that you stand nearer to Jesus than anywhere else. Hearing him say, with his 
hand extended. Do not be anxious. When we find ourselves blinded in the midst of anxieties we can take hold of, we're invited to grasp the hand of our Savior if we'd have the courage to do so. I'll say another thing about this command, this do not be anxious. It, it, it doesn't come with a promise to take away the trials or change the circumstances. So, see, we're, we're people who are prone to wish and to dream for better tomorrows here on earth. But one of the things Jesus does not do is he does not ground this command in the promise of a better tomorrow here on earth. He gives the command three times, and, and he grounds the command in faith. Faith in the goodness of the Father. They're right at the beginning of verse 25. Therefore, I tell you. Hear these words how we're supposed to hear them. It's the same authority that spoke, let there be light. And there was light. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says. In an instant, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's stripping us of everything but total and complete trust in God who cares for us. Oh, that we would believe his word this morning, his authoritative word, that the word that that brought order when there was nothing but chaos, who, who gave meaning when there was nothingness, who created light when there was only darkness. That word. And Jesus' word, it, it's not just human counsel. It's not Jesus coming alongside us and saying, look, it's not so bad, don't worry, it'll... It will all work out. Jesus has something far greater in mind. He has in mind the care of God alone for us. Not a change in circumstances that we try to achieve by hook or crook. It's, it's peace that comes from God alone and his care for us alone. And God will preserve you in all your need and all sorrow and all trouble. And there is no other reason for taking Jesus' command to heart than faith in the care of God who is your Father. It's a reality that we're called to believe simply by faith. Now I want you to see he's going to give us two examples going to give us the birds, and he's going to give us the lilies. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. 
The word means to gaze with intention, to set your focus. Look at this, what Jesus is saying. Now, here's another interesting thing about this passage. We have three commands, do not be anxious. It shows up three times. Those would be what I would call negative commands. There are also three positive commands in this passage. The first of the positive commands is look. The second one is in verse 28. It says, consider. The last of the positive commands, verse 33, seek. It's like this. He's saying, not this, not anxiety. Don't be anxious, but this. I want you to look, and I want you to consider, and I want you to seek, and the birds of the air. Listen, when Jesus gives this illustration about the birds of the air, he is pointing to the providence and the provision of God, his sovereignty, his power, and the full weight of his attention. That's why he says at the end of 26, are you not more valuable If you remember when we were looking at Ephesians, studying what Paul wrote to that church there, we talked about what, one of the remarkable things that Paul writes to the, to the church there is he, he lets them know they are, they are the trophies of God's grace. That the object of, of all of his divine attention, he's near, he's, he's knowing that there's nothing too mundane or small for his great power. I mean, just imagine. He brings his incredible, divine, incalculable power to bear to the most intimate and basic needs that you have. In verse 28, it says, why are you anxious about clothing? And then gives us the second positive command. Consider. Consider the lilies of the field. If the example of, of the birds points to the providence and the provision and the might and the sovereignty, the lilies of the field, Jesus is illustrating the extravagance and the love of God, his divine creativity, his sovereign delight, his endless, never-diminishing resources. In fact, there's one guy I read this week, he said, who, who on earth would even have enough money to feed every bird on the planet for a day? Who would have that? And yet, God's done it every day since he created them. And he is not one penny less wealthy. Not one cent has he missed. Paul says that in Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. Just think of it. Extravagant. Why do that with the lilies? 
have these lilies that are growing in our backyard, and they are just bright yellow, and they've gone crazy since Snowmageddon. I, don't, I guess it's because of the snow. Everything's growing like crazy, except the bushes that died and we had to cut out. But I've never seen so many lilies, and I don't even know what they're for, except for my wife to look at. Every day she checks on her lilies. But they're not doing anything. They're just growing. And they look amazing. And I think, why would God do that? Why would he create yellow? I mean, it's extravagant. The minute detail of his creation. And Jesus is saying, you're more valuable than that. If he brought the minute detail and all his creativity and all his power and all his wealth to bear on the lilies of the field or the, the birds of the air, don't you know he sees you? This is what Jesus is saying. It's his invitation. So come, come believe this. Believe this about God, he's saying. Verse 30, O you of little faith. Now listen, this isn't mindless faith. It's, it's reasoned, it's, it's thoughtful. That's why he says, look, I want you to look. Gaze into this. I want you to consider this. It's not mindless, it's thoughtful. He, he wants us to reason our faith. It's not a faith that is inactive. It's a faith that points us to the right activity. It's not a faith that has no care. It is a faith that prioritizes the highest care. Look at verses 31 to 33 with me. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then look what he says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What the Gentiles know. That's what they know, and you know. You know about the Gentiles, don't you? Of course you do. You are one. It's part of what he's saying. Is there nothing we can truly expect to come of all of our wit and all our strength and all our common sense that will bring to us safely and always navigating this world full of trouble? Everyone's doing that. And it doesn't work. Remember verse 27? You, you can't even add a single hour to your lifespan. Though you try, though you scheme, though you fret. But notice, he knows. Listen, this is what the birds know. This is what the lilies know. This is what God knows. He knows your every need. He knows what you know, and he knows what you do not know about your need. 
You don't even know what tomorrow holds. Worry, at the end of itself, is vanity. As long as we worry, we don't live in the present. One writer said, anxiety is the experience of failure in advance. Or, and this is what many of us do, we try to escape the present to a wishful or imaginary future where we seek to console ourselves with tales that tomorrow will be better or 10 years from now. And listen, that's not planning. That's not forethought. That's not the way of the ant. That's escape. One commentator, he, he calls the wishful thinking, strange dreams of something that in time will come to be. Why do you wishfully dream of peace in a time and a place that is to come if it ever does? And we know from experience how that goes. Why wishfully dream when the offer from Jesus, the command, the invitation to believe God in His goodness right now? What He's saying, stand right here where you are. And trust God for right now. I read this article yesterday. I don't know if you've seen it or if you know about it. It's, it's, it's more out there than I thought it was. I was only initiated to it yesterday. It's a, about a woman, and her name's Jane uh, Mark. Uh, Mark Kesqui, I guess, is the best I can do on her last name. But she goes by the stage name Nightbird. And a couple of weeks ago, she performed on America's Got Talent in front of Simon Cowell. Okay? Don't Google this right now. I'm almost done. I'll tell you the whole story, all right? She's from Zanesville, Ohio, and she is battling her third round of cancer. And at this point, what she's been told is that it's incurable. She's been given a 2% chance to live. But two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago, she performed on the stage on live television or whatever it was. And the song she performed is a song that she wrote herself, and the title of the song was called It's Okay. The irony is, from all accounts, her life seems anything but okay. Angela Davis um, at the Gospel Coalition, she, she wrote about it yesterday. She wrote about this story yesterday. Here's what she writes. Why is it that this unlikely voice is the one we need to hear right now? That was a statement made by the host of the show. He said to her, you're the voice we need to hear right now. So she's trying to answer that. So she says, in her words, Nightbird gives the answer. I'm so much more than the bad things that happened to me. Then she muses, what is her hope despite her circumstances? How can she declare it's okay when it clearly isn't? 
America's captivated because hope and joy are not natural responses when life falls apart. So where does Nightbird's hope originate? From a mysterious place that an NBC talent show is unlikely to explore. It originates with God. In an interview, Nightbird said, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there is something God was growing in the field that is me. And if God had pulled up all the hardship too soon, he would have also pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit. Angela Davis goes on, Nightbird does not sugarcoat her suffering. In one blog post titled, God is on the bathroom floor, she poetically details how she wrestled with God through this trial. I'm reminded that I'm praying to God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to prayers that I didn't pray. And another post she wrote, when it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He, he's more of a giver than a taker. He he doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He, he doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So why do we believe when we're in pain? It must mean that God is far. In her pain, Nightbird has hope. Why? Because that's where God's nearest. I'm still reeling, drenched in sorrow. I'm still begging, bargaining, Demanding, disappearing. And I guess that means I have all the more reason to say thank you because God is drawing near to me again and again and again. No matter how many times he is sent away. Davis tells about her own cancer diagnosis, her life-changing fight with cancer. She says this, Is there a more humble place for God to draw near to us? Yes. On the cross. God the Son took on flesh and entered into the sin-ravaged, cancer-stricken world to deliver us from it. Jesus went willingly to the cross, experienced the suffering our sin deserves in order to give us all he merited with his perfect life. You might call the cross humanity's bathroom floor. And God met us there. That's the hope Nightbird communicates to the world. And America's fascinated with it. She possesses something elusive we all want, or rather, someone. The God who knows our pain meets us in our pain, redeems our pain. With this God, we too can have a hope that allows us to sing along with Nightbird, the unlikeliest song in the world. It's okay. Do not 
be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Your Father knows. What do you know this morning? What do you believe? What are you clinging to? In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told by Peter who was there, who heard these words. He found himself wrapped up often with the cares of all the world. And he says in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then he says, casting your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Casting your anxieties on him. The word casting means to hurl with all your might. It was a pond by where we used to live in Wichita. My son Jay was little, and we would go over there and throw rocks into the water. And I'm telling you, if you don't know what to do with a little boy, go find a pond and some rocks, and you've occupied all day long. There was rocks around the pond, and he'd start a little further away, and he'd get closer and closer and closer as his confidence got up. But where the fun really happened was when I'd sit behind him and hold the back of his shorts. And he'd take the rock and hurl it with all his might, knowing that my mighty hand, I'm not going to let him go. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God by hurling your anxiety onto him. Jesus invites you. He commands you in the most endearing and beautiful way. Do not be anxious. If you would, would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us. There's not one of us in here that doesn't know the anxieties of this world. Some of those are in our families. Some of those are at our work. Some of those are in our heart. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us. We, it's not something we can do on our own. It's, we need a resource from heaven to do this. And so, Father, I pray you'd give us the courage to hurl our anxieties upon you. And in that, in your care for us, as we look to the birds and we consider the lilies and we pray to you that we want to seek your kingdom, 
and your righteousness, which is another way of saying your son. Father, would we know that we have drawn near to you? Father, if there's anybody here this morning that's never drawn near to you, I pray you'd grant them faith right now. Your spirit would move in their heart, their mind, to say, I believe, I believe that everything I need, the forgiveness of my sin, the covering over of all that I am has been laid upon your son Jesus. And so, Father, I pray this morning that their anxiety about what's next when it comes to eternity could be settled this morning. Father, pray we wouldn't leave here without hurling the cares of this day upon you. We ask this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Well, if you would, would you stand with me? And we'll be dismissed together. May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. Amen.